0: Thank you. Good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. It's always great to be here at Trinity. And uh, before I get started, I just want to say thank you, Pastor David, uh, for the opportunity to preach here. Uh, Pastor David's invited me several times. Uh, I believe the last four times he has asked me to preach, he's asked me to preach on uh, the Ten Commandments, the book of Zephaniah, why does God allow suffering, and most recently tithing. Uh, and so I was beginning to think for a while that you only invited me uh, to preach when you got to a, a message in your series that you did not want to preach, so um, thank you for giving me this topic today, this uh, scripture today, it has restored my faith in you. Uh, but uh, it, it is great to be here, and uh, this morning we're looking at, a, at a, an incredible passage of scripture, uh, this is um, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 30, uh, perhaps one of the most well-known words of Jesus, but also perhaps maybe some of the most misunderstood uh, words of Jesus. This is the passage, of course, where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. These are some of the most uh, iconic and compelling words of Jesus, and it's part of what makes his message uniquely appealing because it speaks to something very deep inside of us, the need for rest not just rest in our lives not just rest at the end of the day after working a long shift or working having a hard week but rest in our souls and Jesus is extending this invitation to the weary and burdened and he is offering rest and and it's it's compelling to us because I think we've all we've all felt weary and burdened at times in our lives haven't we You've all felt times, we've all felt times in our lives where, where it feels like the weight of the world is on our backs. I think we've all felt times where we've laid down at night to rest, and yet in our souls we're still restless. We can feel beaten down by the demands of life, by uh, the demands of those we're responsible for, by those we're responsible to, and even our perception of the demands of God and His demands on our lives. And I think restlessness of the soul is a universal human condition. Uh, Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky writes about this in his, um, in his classic work, Crime and Punishment. He describes this dream uh, of the protagonist of the story, and in this dream... Uh, the protagonist is a child, and he's walking down the center street of his small rural town. And uh, as he's walking down the street, there's this saloon that's there. And in front of the saloon is this horse that is tied up to a large cart. And and as he's seeing this, this horse, it's an old, tired, gray horse that's been faithful for many years of service in a farm-type uh, setting. And out of the saloon comes this crowd of peasants, and included in that crowd is the owner of the horse. And the owner of the horse uh, encourages all of his friends who are drunken and coming out of the saloon to pile into the back of this large wooden cart, making it heavy and almost impossible for this horse to carry. And The owner then, of course, starts yelling at the horse and begins to whip the horse. And the horse struggles under the weight of this oppressive load that is behind him. And he is pulling and struggling and trying to gain traction and trying to get this cart moving. But despite all of his best efforts, the weight is too much and he cannot move forward. And the crowd is jeering and the people are chanting and the owner of the horse continues to beat down on this horse and beat it down and beat it down until finally this horse collapses to its knees and dies. What a depressing story to start off your Sunday, huh? are you glad I came to church today? Uh, yeah, you're welcome. It's a depressing and disturbing image, but it's, it evokes some feelings that I think we can all relate to. I think that all, all of us at, at one time or another in our lives have felt like, like life is, is unfair and crushing. That life is, is impossible to win at. I think we've all felt the crushing uh, weight of the demands of life, the weight of broken relationships and unfulfilled dreams and ideals and hopes. We've all felt the the challenge of the inability to gain traction in our lives and to move forward despite all of our best efforts. It's that feeling that no matter how much I give, no matter how much I sacrifice, no matter how much I work, the demands keep coming, and I cannot get ahead. The weight keeps getting heavier. The demands keep getting louder. We've all felt weary and burdened under the cruel master of trying to live up to what life demands of us. And so Jesus here is offering this this incredible message, relevant not just for his audience back then, but for us today. He says, come to me if you are weary and burdened, and you will find rest for your soul's and so he's, he's giving us this incredible invitation, but what is, what is this invitation? What does it mean when he says, come to me, and, and what does this rest actually look like? And so this morning we're going to look at this um, as we read together Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to read the entire passage first, uh, starting in verse 25, and then we'll, we'll take it apart piece by piece here. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 says, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Would you pray with me one more time this morning? Heavenly Father, today we thank you for this incredible invitation from Jesus, this invitation that says, come to me. And so, Father, today I pray that you would teach us what it means to come to you, what it means to allow us to take your yoke upon us, and what it means to walk with you and to find rest. God, I pray today that you would give us the humility of heart and the childlike faith that it takes to allow you to truly be our Savior. God, we thank you that as we do that, you provide for us rest that we can never achieve on our own. So open our hearts today to what you want to speak to us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. The first thing I'd like you to notice in this passage this morning is the receiver of the invitation. The receiver of the invitation. See, Jesus, he starts by by praying this prayer, and he prays it out loud in front of his audience, but he's, he's talking to God the Father, and he says, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things From the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to little children. What's Jesus talking about here? And who is he talking about? Well, first of all, the what that he's talking about, when he says these things that have been hidden, he's talking about himself. He's talking about the revelation of himself as the Son of God. And this is a truth. That uh, the wise and uh, educated religious leaders and scholars of the day should have been able to recognize. In fact, at this particular point in history, the entire Jewish nation had been expecting and looking for their promised Savior. They were looking for their Messiah. They knew their Messiah was coming and they were looking for him. And all of the great educated and religious minds of the Jewish people had been studying and preparing for this very moment. And yet, when Jesus comes on the scene, they miss it. And not only do they miss it, even after Jesus comes and he presents himself as who he is and he shows them who he is by the miracles that he performs, they refuse to accept it. And they ultimately press for his crucifixion. All of these wise, educated, superior, spiritual, religious leaders completely missed identifying Jesus for who he really was. But not everybody missed who Jesus was, did they? There were some who recognized Jesus. There were some who welcomed his message and accepted his statements about himself. Who were they? Well, it was not the spiritual elites. It was not the wise and the educated. It was not the scholar. It was the poor, it was the commoner, it was the sinner, it was the despised tax collector, it was the woman with, of ill repute, it was the unschooled fisherman, it was not people that the world saw as wise and educated and learned and, and the ones who should have known from studying the scriptures, understanding who Jesus was, it was the everyday down-to-earth person. It was little children. And Jesus calls out this reality and he thanks, he thanks the Father for it. He says, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned it, and you've revealed them to little children. And Jesus, Jesus is teaching us something incredibly important about the kingdom of heaven here and, and, and his saving work. And he's saying this, he's saying the kingdom of heaven can only be received by the humble and the childlike. Let me say that again. The saving work of Jesus can only be received by the humble and the childlike. The proud, the self-righteous, the self-sufficient do not have the capacity to receive it. The more self-sufficient you are, the less you have the ability to receive God's message. We must come with humble and childlike faith. Isn't it interesting? If you're a parent in the room, you understand this. Isn't it interesting how how children how children uh, understand some some things so simply? Uh, they just they get it a lot quicker than we do. Um, I I remember uh, a year or two ago, uh, our vacuum cleaner broke for the one hundredth time, uh, and uh, and so I, I you know. I got frustrated. I was trying to vacuum the room, and I, so I took it apart, and I, I'm cleaning it out, and I'm pulling all the hair out and, you know, unclogging it. You, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You've ever, this doesn't happen to anybody else. I don't know. I have eight children, so it happens like almost every week in my house. And so um, I'm pulling it apart, and I'm trying to get it all back together, and my kids are like, we need to buy a new vacuum. I'm like, we do not need to buy a new vacuum. We're going to fix this. And so I spent an hour trying to put this all back together. And for for some reason, I could not get it to work. And I could not get it to work. And I was so frustrated and I was so angry. And I remember my daughter, Truly, who's four years old at the time, she she goes to my wife and she says, Mommy, we're supposed to pray and trust God when we're in trouble. But Daddy's not doing that. (laughs) She gets it. She gets it. And little children get it. There is, a, there is something about humble and childlike faith that unlocks our access to the work of God in our lives. And, and this language that Jesus is, Jesus is using here can be difficult for us to wrap our minds around because it, it feels like, both in these verses and in some of the verses that follow, that somehow God is playing favorites. That somehow God is, is picking and choosing who gets to believe and who doesn't. That somehow God is picking and choosing who gets to go to heaven and who doesn't. But a broader reading of scripture, scripture, actually, particularly Matthew chapter 13, just two chapters later, helps us to understand that the seed of the Word of God is actually sown everywhere, but it doesn't take root for certain reasons. And the truth of and what he's saying here is the truth of who Jesus is and the ability to receive it is hidden only because of human pride and self-sufficiency. The person who is proud and self-sufficient does not have the ability to call God Father and to become childlike before him. I can almost see Jesus laughing to himself here as he's praying this prayer saying, God, in your sovereign wisdom, you have hidden this incredible truth from all of those who think they are so wise in their own eyes. And you've made it accessible so that even a small child can understand. You've made it accessible to those the world has tossed aside, to the simple, to the humble, to the childlike in faith. And this is, this is what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ accessible to every person on the planet. It is not not some elevated, elitist level of attained spirituality that allows us access to God. It is humility and childlike faith that gives us access to the work of God in our lives. This, This confounds the scholar and is offensive to the religious rule keeper. Humility is the key to the kingdom of heaven. It's the one who is humble and childlike who understands that they do not deserve saving grace, but it is being humble and childlike that gives us the capacity to receive it. It's the one who's humble and childlike that understands that that there's no amount of human effort, striving, rule following, good works, or perceived spirituality that makes someone worthy of a relationship with a perfect and holy God. It's the one who's humble and childlike who understands that we are all sinners in need of the grace of a savior it's the one who's humble and childlike who understands that god often works in ways that we do not understand cannot comprehend and cannot put into a box or a formula it's this this kind of humility this understanding that inspires the phrase that we hear so often in church we maybe you've heard this phrase before the ground is level at the cross We say that because we all have to come to Christ the same way. We are all poor, broken, wretched, naked, blind, burdened, and in need of a Savior. None of us deserve it. There are no elites in the kingdom of heaven. We are all weary and burdened sinners in need of a Savior to carry for us what we cannot carry on our own. Who is the receiver of the invitation? It's the humble and childlike in faith. The second thing I'd like you to notice in this passage is the giver of the invitation. The giver of the invitation. Verse 27, Jesus says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Well, What is Jesus saying here? He's making some very substantial claims the first thing he's saying is all things have been given to me by my father so he's saying he's saying that the father has given him the son all of the authority of god not an insignificant statement and secondly he's saying that he and he alone jesus christ has unique access to the father in a way that no one else does no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and thirdly he's saying That he and he alone, Jesus Christ, has the power to give someone access to the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So in summary, what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that he alone knows the Father, has the power of the Father, and has the power to reveal the Father. Jesus alone. And so the statement he's making here is one of exclusivity. He's saying, he's saying, there is no other path to God. There is no other path to God. There is no other way to heaven. There is no other vehicle by which to attain true and lasting fulfillment in life. There is no amount of personal determinism that can subvert the exclusive path to the Father through Jesus Christ. It's this, it's this same concept that the Apostle John echoes in Jesus' words in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he says, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One commentator writes about this passage in particular, saying that this this statement of Jesus is a fatal stab wound in the heart of self-autonomy. We cannot, by our own determination or merit, earn or deserve the favor of God, eternal life or heaven, or any sort of relationship with him apart from Jesus Christ. Again, this verse can appear as if God is playing favorites, that only those who Jesus chooses can accept him. But again, to simplify the text to that interpretation is to diminish what Jesus says earlier and what he will say in the next verses. The Father reveals and accomplishes the saving work of Jesus Christ only in those who are humble and childlike enough to receive it. The invitation is available for all. But only the humble and the childlike have the capacity to respond. The message is still for whosoever will believe in him. And so the revelation of the saving work of Jesus Christ, it comes as a gift of divine grace, but it's received through human faith. And that human faith is faith that is humble, and childlike enough to acknowledge that Jesus alone is the one who can save us. Final thing I want you to notice in this passage is the heart of the invitation. The heart of the invitation. Verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so now we get here to the heart of the message. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Exclusively to him. Come to me. If you are weary and burdened from trying to live this life on your own strength, if you are Trying to please God by your own merit or self sufficiency, but keep falling short, come to me. If you're trying to gain elevated status by your own wisdom or efforts, but are not coming to grips with the reality, or, but are coming to grips with the, with, the, with the reality that it's not enough, come to me. See, Jesus is confronting two, two uh, popular but incorrect uh, forms of spirituality in this moment, at the very least, two. two. On the one hand, there were individuals who were saying, the way to God is to keep all of the rules. Follow the law, do everything right, make God happy. This will elevate you in your spirituality and make you worthy of God. And Jesus is not saying that. We know he's not saying that because because Jesus says there's no way for you to fulfill all of the demands of God. And it's not just that, that... Here's the, here's the line of morality that everyone accepts as the same. Jesus, if, if we read all of Matthew's gospel, we understand that Jesus' that Jesus's moral demands are much higher than the demands of the law. They're impossible to attain. So Jesus is not calling them to simply follow more rules. At the same time, there was a perception that, that following the law was the way of wisdom, And so in in a very similar way, you would keep God's laws because it was the wise thing to do, and it would make your life better. I do this, and God responds, and therefore my life becomes better. It's the same action, but the motivation is a little bit different. It's do these things, and your life will be better. But that's not Jesus' message here. And so when Jesus says here, come to me, He's actually echoing the words of a Jewish rabbi from 200 years previous, Jesus Ben Sirach, who wrote to the Jewish people saying, take up the yoke of wisdom. The yoke of wisdom is light, and you'll find rest for your souls. And Jesus actually takes these same words, and he changes them, and he says, it's not about wisdom, it's about me. Jesus takes these words and says, says it's, it's, it's not about wisdom, I am wisdom. Why does this matter? Because Jesus is not just saying here. He's not just saying, here are some wise words to live by. He's not just saying, here's some good advice to make your life easier. Jesus is saying, I am wisdom itself. I am wisdom personified. Wisdom is found in me. It's so vital for us to understand that Jesus is not presenting himself as a wise teacher or an inspirational figure for us to follow. He is presenting himself as the very essence of truth, as wisdom itself. And so all those who think they are wise but cannot accept the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the only way to God and the humility that it takes to receive his saving work are, in fact, foolish. All of the writing of all of the wisest men in the world still falls short of providing a pathway to God because they are, at their core, steeped in self-sufficiency. Early church theologian and missionary, St. Augustine, wrote, he said, I have read in Plato and Cicero sayings that are wise and very beautiful, but I have never read in either of them. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Wisdom, apart from Christ, is nothing more than self-sufficiency. And it's a heavy yoke that we cannot bear on our own. And so Christ's invitation is not a call to try harder and to keep the rules better. And it's not a call to simply gain more wisdom and understanding that will lead to a better life. The invitation of Jesus is an invitation to a relationship With him it's an invitation to discipleship and this is important for us to recognize because we love reading that first part of the verse that says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest like we just picture jesus holding out his arms to us and saying come on you're tired let me give you a big hug And that's great, right? I believe, you know, sometimes we're tired and Jesus just needs to give us a big hug. Maybe I I do need that later on today. I'm not sure. Um, But he's saying more than that because immediately after that, he says, come to me. But then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And he uses this illustration of a yoke. It's a a wooden frame that's placed on the shoulders of, of an animal to make a load or a burden easier to carry, right? The yoke is not the burden. The yoke helps alleviate the burden because the burden still must be carried. But interestingly, in Jesus' day, that word yoke was a loaded term. It symbolized oppression. Jewish people saw their Roman occupiers as enforcing a yoke of oppression. The religious leaders of the day would say, take up the yoke of the law. But at the same time, they kept adding regulations and additional requirements to the law and making it so heavy and impossible to bear that no one could keep it. And so, Jesus is saying some some very critical things here. First of all, Jesus is saying that every one of us has a burden to carry. Every one of us has a burden to carry. We're all carrying something, we're all struggling with something. We're all struggling with the weight of something, most notably and universally the weight of our own sin. We're all carrying that. But then he also says this. He's basically saying everyone chooses the yoke that helps them bear that burden. You choose the yoke that will help you bear the burden. And he says you can, you can choose the yoke of rule following. You can choose the yoke of wisdom seeking. But both of those are yokes of self-sufficiency yokes of self autonomy that you can I can do more I can try harder I can work better I can discipline myself more and somehow I will gain the strength to carry this load and Jesus says it won't work Finally Jesus is saying listen he says you can either choose the yoke of self sufficiency or you can choose the yoke of a savior You can choose the yoke of self sufficiency or you can choose the yoke of a savior. Back in that time, there were two, two kinds of yokes. There's a, a single yoke, which would be put on a single animal to, to pull a load, but then there also would be a shared yoke between two oxen that would, they would both pull together. And typically in that relationship, you'd have one oxen that was stronger and older and was used to following the commands of the master. And the older, stronger oxen would be paired with the younger, weaker oxen. And they would would learn, the younger oxen would learn from the stronger one. The stronger one would pull the primary weight of the load and teach the younger, weaker one to obey the commands of the master. And so what's Jesus saying here? What's Jesus saying here? Well, he's definitely not saying that if you work hard enough and long enough, you'll be strong enough to carry the weight of your sin on your own. He's not saying that. And he's certainly not saying, hey, hop in the back of the wagon. I'm going to pull this for you. Jesus is saying, tie yourself to me. Tie yourself to me. I will carry the weight of this load because I and I alone have the strength to carry it for you. But as you bind yourself to me and as you walk with me, you will learn from me. And as you learn from me, you will learn to be like me. And as you do, you will find that my yoke is indeed easy and my burden is light. You see, rest for our souls still requires us to take up the yoke of Jesus Christ. We don't get to just add Jesus to our life. He says, tie yourself to me. He doesn't say, take up my chair. He doesn't say, take up my mattress. He doesn't say, take up my sleep number bed. He says, take up my yoke. And it's not a, so this is not a guarantee of a life free from pain or suffering or difficulty or heartache. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus is not offering us here an escape from life. The rest that Jesus offering is offering is, is not an escape from life. Jesus is offering us a way through, but he's offering us himself in the process. The invitation to take up Christ's yoke is the invitation to surrender to a Savior, to give him the full weight of our sin that we could never carry on our own, the full weight of our inability to please God by ourselves. Christ, who has no sin, alone has the ability to carry it for us, the ability to fulfill the righteous requirements of God on our behalf. I'm going to have the worship team come. When I was eight or nine years old, uh, my dad took my older sister, me, and uh, my younger brother on a trip to the Adirondacks, and uh, we... We're going to hike a mountain together. And uh, I remember this trip specifically because it was just the four of us. And uh, I, have, I have five brothers and sisters, but it was just my older sister, my younger brother, and, and me, and, and with my dad. And we were going on this trip. And uh, my older sister was about 10 or 11 years old. My younger brother was about five or six. And I remember my dad being worried that my younger brother was not going to be able to make it up this mountain. Uh, it was steep in some parts. There were some rocks to get up and over. There were some muddy parts where it was just, it's just difficult to navigate. And so my dad, in preparation for this, brought a rope with him, thinking that maybe we'll need the rope to help you know, pull up my younger brother from time to time. Well, as it turns out, my younger brother was completely fine. Uh, he had a lot of energy and uh, youthful exuberant, uh, ex- exuberation. He just you know, shot right up the mountain. Did a great job, and, and I was right with him. We were together. We, we loved it. We thought it was the easiest thing in the world. My older sister, on the other hand, did not do so well. Uh, she was not as coordinated, not as athletic, and she did not really prepare well for this trip. She was wearing these really flat-soled shoes that just made her slip and slide all over the place, and she could not get any traction as she's trying to get up this mountain. It was a several-mile hike And I remember finally at one point, my dad says, okay, even though he was planning to use this rope for my younger brother, (laughs) he takes this rope out of his bag, and he ties one end of it around the waist of my sister, and he ties the other end of the rope around his waist. And for the next two miles, my dad dragged my 10-year-old sister up the mountain. And I will never forget that. We have not let her forget that for the rest of her life. Um, but as I think about that, it makes me think, you know what? This is what Jesus does for us. This is what Jesus does for us when we tie ourselves to him. He is the one who bears the weight. He's the one who knows the way. He, he's the one who helps us get to the end and to gain the victory that we could never gain on our own. Christ's invitation is an invitation to surrender to a Savior. But it's also an invitation to walk with the Savior, to learn from him, to learn to be like him. That's that's what discipleship is, to learn to be like him. And what does Jesus say here? What does he say that he is like? He says, learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart. Isn't it interesting? It's, it's the humble and the childlike that can receive his invitation in the first place, isn't it? He says, come learn from me. Come walk with me. Come learn what it is to be like me. And as you do this, you are going to find rest for your soul. Deep rest. Rest for the soul. He, certainly Jesus is offering us eternal rest someday in heaven. I'm looking forward to that. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about rest for today. Rest in this moment. Rest in the midst of the struggle. Rest in the midst of the challenges. In the middle of the painful moments. In the middle of the uncertainty. In the middle of the struggle. In the middle of all the things that we hope for and are striving for, but they're still not happening. In the midst of all of that, he offers us rest. We can have rest. Because we aren't the ones who are carrying the load. He is. And we can have rest because we're not walking alone. He's with us. Rest for our souls comes by surrendering to and walking with the only one who can save our souls. The yoke of self sufficiency is unbearable, it's suffocating, it's soul crushing, it's death inducing, but the yoke of the Savior is light, and it leads to rest. Would you bow your heads with me today? And as we just take a moment to respond in our hearts today, I just want to ask you this question. I want you to ask this question in your own heart today. What what restlessness are you fighting today? What restlessness are you fighting in your soul today? Restlessness is ultimately a product of self-sufficiency, Restlessness means it's, it's there because we're striving to do something that we're never meant to do on our own. And so maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith, or your trust in Jesus Christ. You've never, you've never trusted in Him for your salvation. I want you to know today that Jesus Christ's invitation, even though He made that 2,000 years ago, it's still available to you today. Jesus still today is looking at you and saying, Come, come to me. If you're restless, if you're, stri- if you're trying to do it on your own still, come to me. I'll warn you, though, it takes humility to respond to that invitation. It takes the ability for us to say, you know what, I can't do it on my own. I can't be my own Savior. I need a Savior who can carry for me what I cannot carry on my own. And maybe you're here today and you are a Christ follower and you know Jesus Christ and you love him and, and that's wonderful, but you're still, you're still experiencing restlessness in your soul. Again, it still comes from that same place. It comes from when we, when we try to take back what we should have already given to Jesus. And so this morning, what is it that you need to give back to him? What is it that you need to surrender back to Jesus, the burdens that you're carrying and say, Lord, I've been trying to carry this on my own but I'm going to lay it back at your feet and I'm going to take up your yoke again. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to tie myself to you. I'm going to learn from you one more time. Father, today we thank you that you love us. You love us so much. In all of our striving to be independent and autonomous and self-sufficient and wise and understanding god you in humility sent jesus who says come lay down your burdens at my feet and walk with me so god today give us give us the humility of heart give us the childlike faith to be able to respond to that invitation God, help us to let go of our pride and our self-sufficiency and to lay ourselves down at your feet and say, Jesus, here we are. Here, Here it is again. Take what I cannot carry. Let me tie myself to you and let's walk through this life together. Do in me what I cannot do in myself. In Jesus' name.